Thank you, Bert and Robin. Uh, could you, uh, good morning all, to all of you. Glad to see you. And could you turn your Bibles to Obadiah, verse 1. Obadiah, we're continuing our study of Obadiah. We're getting near the end of the book, only, only one chapter long. And today we'll be uh, looking at verse 15 in detail. Uh, we'll just take one verse today in both the first and second sessions. And uh, we'll see in the first session, we'll be noting uh, with Obadiah 15, that the day of the Lord is uh, near or imminent for all the nations. That's what we'll be looking at in the first session. Uh, first uh, session, And in the second session, we'll be noting that Edom would be treated in the same manner that they treated Judah. Remember, this book is all about, of course, uh, the God's uh, disgust uh, with the nation of Edom for uh, joining Babylon and attacking the kingdom of Judah when Babylon was... Uh, invading her, and, uh, and the reason why is because they were blood relatives. Esau uh, was, the, his, uh, was the progenitor of the Edomites, and of course, Jacob, the progenitor of the Israelites. So that is our, uh, what we'll be talking about here today, and um, so we're, a, a, nice, a nice day. It's supposed to be, uh, I heard it's going to be close to 80 here this week, and I love it, because that means golf is on the way. Just get my swing ready. I'm doing my yoga. I walked once, uh, walking over a mile every day. I'm, I'm training because I want to. I want to see if I could beat the big guy over here. And the other guy, where is he? Larry. So those are my guys on and on Monday morning with Pastor and uh, myself. We play down at the airport, and those guys are t trash talkers. I tell you what. <laughs> yeah, those two old guys always making. You know, when I told you the first story, when I first came out here. The, they, uh, they were being gracious to me when I first came out here. They, they figured they'd, they'd whoop my butt, so they, they bring me out to the golf course, and they let me hit with their, at the old, I call them the old guys' tees, you know? And uh, so I said, oh, you sure you want me to do that? And I was like, yeah, yeah. So I had a good round. So the next, next week, Larry goes, hey, where are you going? Back there. <laughs> Larry, what happened to the grace? <laughs> so anyways... So we're looking. I, I really enjoy playing golf and uh, with those guys. And uh, and of course, I've, if, you, if you really want to be a great golfer, and it's you go to the guy over here. He's a quiet assassin, Bert Peek. He's the best golfer in this place. He might not hit it like Kirk, like 400 yards, but he gets it in the middle. He's like these old guys. They get it in the fairway. They don't go in the woods like us guys who like to hit the ball a mile. And uh, so anyways, we're, we're all going to try to learn from the master over here, and uh, we'll see what happens this year. Anyways, I hear some giggling. Is Carol back? Carol's back. She's, uh, she was over in, uh, down in the Gulf there with uh, Debbie. I saw the pictures there. That was, that was pretty cool. And uh, good to see you guys. And um, so uh, glad to have you all and uh, um, to, to have you all with us. And we have Denise, right? Help me out. Who is it? Denise? Davis. Davis. Okay. And glad to have you here. And I know uh, Pastor Peek had uh, married you guys. And um, that's 1981. And that's like 40-something years ago. I was a year out of high school. And I saw the picture. And, and Pastor Peek, he has dark hair. I didn't recognize him. You know? <laughs> handsome guy. Still a handsome guy. You know, at 82, wherever he is. But um, so glad to have you, and I, I guess uh, Denise is a, a really good friend of my really good friend, Lori Coppersmith, who has come up here with her husband, Dennis, and she begs me all the time, if she, can, well, she wants to come up, I say, yeah, you know, yeah, sure, you know, but it's like five, six hours for her, so she's, you know, Dennis doesn't want to drive all, the, every Sunday up here, so if she could, she would, so <laughs> it's great to have you guys. 
All right, uh, let's, uh, let's uh, you should be at Obadiah verse one. Let's take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. And uh, we take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, to determine if we're in fellowship with God. Because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, uh, of course, 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. Now, we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5, 18 to be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3, 16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So, if there's anything that's bothering you, disturbing or distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful day that you've given to us. Father, we thank you for our bodies, our souls, our ability to think. We thank you for our senses, and we thank you for our families, and uh, we thank you for the health you've given to us. And we just thank you, Father, for the freedoms that we have in this country, our homes, our businesses. We thank you, Father, for our salaries, all the logistical grace blessings that you've given to us to enjoy creation and to execute your plan. I thank you for everyone that is here uh, this morning that are serious students of the Word of God and those who might be listening to this class at a later date through the recordings, uh, through the various websites and podcasts that you've given to us. I pray you would use them mightily. I also thank you for this study in Obadiah, Father, and I just thank you for your people who are serious students of the Word of God and uh, their concentration upon this fabulous book, though it's only one chapter long. It punch, packs a punch like Jude did. So I just thank you for uh, this study, and I pray that the Holy Spirit would use it mightily. I just thank you for um, the gift of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. I thank you for the gift of your son and his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at your right hand that's delivered us from eternal condemnation, sin and Satan, and his cosmic system, giving us the victory over spiritual and physical death. I just thank you for your work on our behalf in eternity past and electing us and predestinating us to be conformed to the image of your Son. So, Father, we have the victory, so now we need to appropriate that victory by faith and appropriating our faith, our union identification with your Son, Jesus Christ, so that we can experience that victory over sin and Satan and his cosmic system, become invisible heroes. Father, I pray that by the Spirit you would help me to communicate your full counsel today with accuracy and clarity, reverence, respect, and power. And I just pray, Father, that you would work mightily and powerfully through your people in the audience, help them by the Spirit to learn, understand, and apply what's being taught, to concentrate, and please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. So, Father, we pray for this service in our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, your Son. In his name we pray. Amen. You should be at Obadiah verse 1. Obadiah verse 1, I'm reading from the Net Bible. That's the Bible we use here, great translation. So it says in Obadiah verse 1, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You'll be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of the rocks and make your home on the heights. You who say to yourself, 
Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what a disaster awaits you. Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came to you, would they not leave a few grapes? But how Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau? Your warriors, Teman, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. On the day you stood aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait at the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of their trouble. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just as you drank on my holy hill, so all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and drink and be as if they have never been. But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. Jacob will be a fire, and Joseph a flame. Esau will be stubble, and they will set him on fire and destroy him. There'll be no survivors from Esau. The Lord has spoken. People from the Negev will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. This company of Israelite exiles who are in Canaan will possess the land as far as Zarephath. The exiles from Jerusalem who are in Sepharad will possess the towns of the Negev. Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. Let's go back and uh, re uh, go over some things, review quickly, before we look at verse 15 in the first uh, session where the, where the uh, prophet Ob Obadiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says that the day of the Lord is near for all the nations. So uh, the context of this book, well, to, if, let's first of all go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, Jacob, uh, remember, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was had a twin brother, Esau. So Esau, he was the progenitor of the Edomites. And Jacob, of course, the progenitor of the Israelites. Now, uh, under we saw when the, uh, the Israelites left Egypt, uh, they went back into the, uh, to the land of Canaan, and God used them to dispossess, dispossess the Canaanite peoples that were there uh, for centuries, and God was angry with those people. They didn't repent and trust in him, so he used the Israelites to dispossess, judge these nations. So we see that they got prospered, and then they, they, they went
they went into apostasy in the time of the judges. But then we had a united kingdom under Saul and then King David. And David had a son named Solomon. And Solomon uh, was uh, the wisest uh, man in the ancient world. But Solomon loved his foreign wives. And it led him into apostasy later in life. So he was involved in syncretism. He wanted to worship the Lord. And at the same time, he wanted to worship the gods of his wife. God would have none of it. So he sent the prophet into Solomon saying, I'm going to take the kingdom away from not you because of your father David I won't do it but I will take it away from your son and that son turned out to be Rehoboam so two tribes Judah and Benjamin stayed with Rehoboam and they were called the southern kingdom of Judah and then the the northern kingdom the other ten tribes were called the northern kingdom and uh, they were uh, called Israel and that's why you see in first second kings and first and second chronicles the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah so there was a civil war and it was God's doing Brother Baum wanted to try to unite the nation, but God sent the prophet and said, no, don't do that. This is my doing. So we see in, the, in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom went into, was deep into apostasy, and God used the nation of Assyria, not Syria, but Assyria. They were the first world empire uh, that, uh, in the Mesopotamian region of the world before Babylon. So in 722 B.C., God uh, sent in the Assyrian military to judge the northern kingdom for their apostasy. They never returned to the land. And then, over a little over 100 years later, God used another wicked ruler, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, one of the famous men of the ancient world. And Nebuchadnezzar was used by God. God actually calls him his servant in Jeremiah 25 and 27, as we pointed out. And he was his servant in the sense that he would be the evil nation that God would employ to judge the other evil nations in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world. And one of those nations was the southern kingdom of Judah. So in 605, 597 and 586 BC, God used the Babylonian Empire to judge the southern kingdom of Judah. Now in 605, uh, Daniel went out on that invasion. Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel, went out in the second one in 597 BC. And then the last one culminated in the destruction of Solomon's temple in the city of Jerusalem and the deportation of the people. Only the poor were left in the land. Now why did it take three invasions? Well, you gotta, if you look at like we talked about Zedekiah, who rebelled against Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar in the first invasion, yes, he deported a lot of the people like Daniel, but and took some of the articles of the temple. But he set up a puppet ruler in Israel, in Jerusalem. So that's what he, they would do in the ancient world. All of them did that. So they would, they would set up a puppet king for them uh, for, to, in, in, in Jerusalem that would do Nebuchadnezzar's policies. And so he rebelled, and then they came back in 597 B.C., and again, they try to reinstall another uh, king that, that would do the bidding of Babel, Nebuchadnezzar. And then that didn't work. So finally, he had enough of them, and he just wiped the city out, burned it to the ground, and uh, destroyed the temple, and took all the remaining articles, precious articles, of the temple, and brought them to Babylon, where they would return 70 years later, according to the prophecy of Jeremiah. In fact, Daniel, in Daniel 9, before he got the great 70 weeks prophecy, he was reading Jeremiah's prophecy about the southern kingdom returning back to uh, the land of promise. Now, so this is so we see that uh, God is uh, sent the prophet Obadiah with this message. It's almost identical to the one Jeremiah has in Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 7 through 23. And so this tells us that they were contemporaries. Jeremiah, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
Obadiah, Ezekiel, they were all contemporaries. So there was a small remnant of faithful believers, a small pivot in the nation, but it didn't prevent them from, su for su for, uh, from suffering for blessing in a foreign nation. Though they were faithful, they still had to suffer by association with their apostate countrymen. So God did great things to those people in Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, the greatest ruler of the ancient world, became a believer through the, the ministry of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and quite frankly, for doing their jobs as under the Lord, if you think about it. So we see that Obadiah is writing this prophecy into the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's, God is using him to condemn the nation of Edom for helping out Babylon wage these attacks, and particularly the last one in 586 BC, which as I said before, culminated in the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple and the deportation of the people to Babylon, except for the poor, they stay in the land. So we have uh, God's angry with, this, with Edom because they were the blood relatives of the Jews because, again, uh, Esau and Jacob were brothers. And so Jacob being the progenitor of the Israelites and you had uh, Edom uh, was... Uh, Esau was the progenitor of the Edomites. So God's angry with, with Edom, and so he decides to destroy her. Now, Edom in that part of the world was extre extremely powerful, not because of their size and military strength, but because of their geographical location, which was a natural deterrent to foreign armies. So we've seen in the past these pictures. This is a view of the Southern Rift uh, Valley, looking across the valley uh, to the mountains of Edom. It was a tremendous difficult terrain for an, an army in that day and age to navigate. I got another picture up here for you. This is the one I've shown you in the past before. This is the site of Sela, which means rock, and it's in the mountains of Edom and Transjordan. And this area is what we call the Kingdom of Jordan today. So look at this terrain. So the army, first of all, logistically, it was a nightmare to, to, to provide logistically for military where there's a lack of water in this area. And the Edomites would just sit up in the, in the clefts of the rock and they would just shoot their arrows and they'd just pick them off. In fact, there were so many narrow passageways for, the, for an army to travel that a million-man army, in many of these passages, could only go one guy at a time, which made them sitting ducks. And that's why a lot of nations did not uh, dare wage an attack against the Edomites. So as we saw in the, in the text of e, uh, Obadiah, we see that they were very arrogant about their, their geographical location that they thought was impregnable. But when it comes to God, nothing is impregnable. All throughout history, it teaches the nations of the earth, and even ours today, that no nation is impregnable. Look at Nineveh. Look at, oh, look at Edom. These nations were considered to be impregnable. You couldn't get to them. But God can always, when he wants to, he can raise up men and give them the wisdom they need, like Nebuchadnezzar, to defeat a, a place like that. Another city in the ancient world that was considered impregnable because it was, was Tyre. But Tyre was defeated as well. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar took a shot at it, and he also had Alexander the Great uh, wiped it out. It, no, it, it was no longer. So that was considered to be impregnable. So we have this nation, Edom, who's shaking their fist at God. They think that they're untouchable, and God's saying, no. Because of the way you treated your blood relatives, the Jews, while Nebuchadnezzar was destroying him, uh, I, 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 that was, you, uh, I'm angry with that, so now I'm going to pass this judgment against you. So we see the prophecy of the judgment. 
in the first nine verses. And then in verses 10 through 14, we have the list of charges as to why he's going to do this. God always does this. He always does this. Before, If you look at the Old Testament, he's always doing this. If you look at Jeremiah's book, read the book of Jeremiah. He does this with Babylon. He does this with Egypt. He does this with, uh, with, uh, with the southern kingdom of Judah. He'll do it with Edom. He does it with all the nations. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to judge you. And I'm, he tells the Edomites how he's going to do it here. I'm going to show you how I'm going to do it. You're going to be, everything that you did, as we'll see today, everything that you did to the, Ed, uh, the, the kingdom of Judah, will have, I'll have done to you by other nations that will betray you like you betray your brothers, your blood relatives. And that's called lex telionis, the punishment must fit the crime. And that's what God does. God always, that when you hear this expression, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, what it means is that the punishment must fit the crime. Okay? So in God's, in God's government, when you murder somebody in cold blood, the death penalty is required. In fact, under the Mosaic law, which reflects God's holy standards, uh, we're not under the law, but it tells us about God and what he thinks. That murder, rape, okay, and kidnapping are capital crimes. They're worthy of capital punishment. That's the punishment fits the crime. And so one of the things we're seeing in our country is we don't practice the capital punishment and we don't practice Lex Tullionis in this nation. And this has caused blood to be on the land. And what has God done to nations that have done that? He judges those nations. And the only reason why he hasn't judged our nation is that there's still a remnant of believers in this country, a positive volition believers, a pivot, we could say, that still honors the Lord in their lives. So we could very well be the reason why this is, disaster has not hit our nation as of yet. But it's coming unless this nation repents before the Lord. So then we see in verses, you get the, the list of charges, the indictments we pointed out, there were nine indictments against the Edomites. So God gives the prophecy of their destruction, his intention to destroy them. And then you have the charges, the nine indictments in verses 10 through 14. And then we see him talking about the day of the Lord in verses 15 and 16. And what he's, we're going to see today is that the day of the Lord it took place also in the Old Testament, and it took place in Obadiah's day. It's, it took place in relation to the nation of Edom. It took place in, in relation to the nation of Judah. And it's going to take place in relation to the nations after the rapture, the resurrection of the church. There are day of the Lord prophecies that are still future. So what God did to the nations in the 6th century B.C., the day of the Lord back then, sets the pattern for as to how he's going to treat the nations in our day and age in the future. So, we see here, if you look at uh, Obadiah 15, please. Look at your uh, Bibles again. <clears throat> great coffee here, uh, uh, Ray Perkins. Did a great job with the coffee. I like the coffee here. The day of the Lord is near for all the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. So, when the first prophecy there for the day of the Lord is near upon all is near upon all the nations that presents the first of three reasons for the list of indictments that God of Israel uh, spoke through the prophet of Obadiah which are presented in verses 10 through 14 so we have some reasons here in verse 15 16 and this is the first reason why God lists these indictments against the Edomites in verses 10 through 14. Now, when he says near, that's speaking of the word in the Hebrew, karob, it means something that's imminent. It could happen any time. For instance, the rapture of the church. 
We, we believe in a pre-trib rapture. We believe that the rapture is imminent. <coughs> Excuse me. And what I mean by that, too, is that we're waiting for one prophecy now. There's only one prophecy that mankind's waiting for, and that's the rapture of the church. There's no date setting for it. There's no time. We don't know when that's going to happen. And the reason why God did that is because he wants us to live in, in, in light of the uh, imminency of the rapture. He wants us to be on our toes. He wants us to have a sense of urgency, okay? Because he knows how we are in our nature. So he wants us to live as if he could come back at any moment, and he could. Interesting thing about the rapture, of course, is that that was 2,000 years ago that Paul got that and the apostles got this prophecy and the Lord delivered it about the rapture in John 14, 1 through 3. So how much closer is it now? So we, the, the rapture is imminent. It could happen at any time. And back in uh, Obadiah's day, when Obadiah gave this prophecy, he's saying the day of the Lord in relation to Edom and the other nations that destroyed the southern kingdom of Judah, the day of the Lord is near. So this word near, it speaks of, speaks of imminency and because it pertains to a point of time that's close to another point of time. So here the two points of time are the period in history in which Obadiah proclaims this prophecy against the Edomites in verses 1 to 14 during the 6th century BC. And the other point of time that we're talking about is when the God of Israel would judge the nations in the future. So therefore this word near it denotes imminency, and this would indicate that the day of the Lord was imminent in Obadiah's day. It could happen at any time, in other words. The God of Israel's judgment of both Edom and the other Gentile nations, which were located in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world in the 6th century B.C., was imminent. It, it, so when he issued this prophecy, all the nations that were involved in destroying the nation of Judah should have been on their toes, but of course, they didn't respect the God of Israel, who was Jesus Christ. And of course, the nations today do not respect the God of Israel and to their own detriment. They too, like the, nat the nations of the ancient world, will fall to the at the hands of Jesus Christ. And when the church is raptured, which is imminent, as I said, then you have the tribulation beginning with Antichrist making a treaty with the, uh, with the nation of Israel, Daniel 9.27. And this will, uh, then halfway through that seven-year treaty, the 70th week, you have the seven-sealed trumpet and bold judgments of Revelation 6 through 18. And they culminate in the second advent of Christ where Christ comes back with the church and the elect angels and Old Testament saints and resurrection bodies to establish the kingdom of God on earth. And so this is all imminent. But the nations of the earth, they go right along doing what they're doing, including our own United States of America. So the word day of the Lord, interesting phrase. Uh, you see it again all the time in the Old Testament. You see it several times in the New Testament. Now the day of the Lord is composed of two words. We have the word yom, which means it's translated day of, but it's not talking about a 24-hour period here. It can be talking about a, a certain period of time, and uh, unless the context indicates it. Like in Genesis chapter 1, you see the, 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 uh, the, the six days, the seven days of, uh, six days of restoration of the earth from Satan's rebellion, and the seventh day, of course, is the Sabbath day. So we see that uh, that is a 24-hour period, because it's saying that this word is a 24-hour period, morning, evening, the first, second, third day. And he is speaking to the, the reference of the Hebrews who would understand that to be the case. 
So here, though, and many times in Daniel, the word day it will speak of an indefinite period of time. And this word is also coupled with the word Yahweh, which is translated Lord here, uh, correctly. And so this word yom, it means time period in this context because it doesn't pertain to a 24-hour period, but rather an indefinite period of time which could range from a relatively short to a very long period of time. So the context in which we find this word will indicate the extensive time period, and here the period of time is the 6th century B.C. Now during this period, uh, the God of Israel would employ the armies of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon to judge Edom and other Gentile nations located in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world. Now, it's interesting, the construct state of this noun, uh, which expresses a genitive relation between the two words, that's what the construct state is indicating. So the construct, of the construct state in the Hebrew of this word yom, day, or time period, is indicating that the judgment of Edom and the Gentile nations that were located in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world in the 6th century BC would be produced by or brought about by the God of Israel or it could be caused by him. God works out the events in history. Listen to me carefully. You should be totally comforted by the divine decree. Back in eternity past, God sovereignly decreed that the free will, the volitional decisions of both men and angels would be existing, coexisting with his sovereign will. So therefore, everything that's ever taken place in history up to our present moment and into the future, okay, has been already figured into God's plan. The fall of Satan, the fall of Adam and Eve, uh, the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, all of this was figured into God's plan. And so no one can beat God. He's the greatest chess player. He's omniscient. He knows what's going to happen. But that doesn't mean he coerces volition. He doesn't. He, lives, he lets mankind and angels make their free will decisions, but he figures them into this plan. And the big thing with Calvinism and Arminianism and all this is they don't understand this, that the sovereign will of God is not diminished in any way when you say that God has given men and angels free will. Because God sovereignly decreed in eternity past that they would make those decisions. So when you understand that, you'll realize that the sovereign will of God is not diminished in any way, which is the Calvinists are really concerned about. That's why they believe in the five-point Calvinism, which is actually Bazarism, another story from another day. Calvin was believed in unlimited atonement, not limited atonement. So God's in control of the circumstances, including today. You're worried about your country? We all are. We should be praying, as we've pointed out, and live in the spiritual life and be a blessing to your, your, your family, your country, your neighborhoods, and your, your, the and international impact, and in the angelic impact as an invisible hero. And you do that by learning Bible doctrine and putting it into practice and living the spiritual life and praying for your leaders and praying for your nation that God would raise up people with establishment principles or, and more importantly, also raise up, uh, I suppose, people in our government, all areas, federal, state, and local level governments to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, that's, and so the biggest witness that we can have is modeling it for people. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. This is what it looks like to be like Jesus. That's what God wants us to be, like Christ. That's the plan of God for the church age, the protocol plan of God. So we need to do that. And then that will be an impact on our nation. Don't underestimate your impact in the nation or in your neighborhoods. All it states is a trickle effect. 
All you have to stop, you, do, you do your job, you do your job, I do my job. When we, we do it together, we can have a major, major impact. And we already, I know some of you don't realize it, but we are having a major impact. So we have this word Lord here, is the covenant name, the covenant keeping name of the personal name of God. So Lord here, Yahweh in the Hebrew, is the covenant keeping personal name of God used in connection with God's covenant relationship with the Jewish people. God didn't do covenants with your church. He didn't. He did it with Israel. The covenants were to Israel and Israel alone. You had the, the Mosaic covenant, which was a conditional covenant. You had the Abrahamic, Palestinian, Davidic, and New Covenants. They were unconditional promises. They guaranteed that the nation of Israel would always exist. They would always exist. And I had this, funny, I had this email from this, this woman. I knew she was... She, I knew she was coming, to, you know, when she was typing to me. I, I saw her emails, because like, she saw my article on Academia Edio about the 70th week of Daniel, I think it was. But it had something to do with Israel. And she didn't think Israel was around. The ch she thought the church is the new Israel. And so I gave her this, that, and the other thing. And I said, oh, have you not read uh, Jeremiah 31, uh, 34? Or was it, yeah, 31 through 30, uh, chapter 31, verses 31 through 34. But you keep reading after the new covenant? God says... I guarantee the nation of Israel will always exist. Will the stars and the moons always exist? Yeah, so the nation will always exist. If, you, if the stars and the moons and the creation cease to exist, then there would be no nation of Israel. In other words, he's saying they'll always exist. And she had no response to what I said. How could you? It's there in black and white. God has God not set aside the nation of Israel, really, in a sense. He's called out. A, there's a small remnant that's in the church that was headed up by the apostles, and, but we know them as Messianic Jews today, like Dr. Freudschenbaum is a, is a great Christian Messianic Jew that may, some of you might know. I read a lot of his stuff, great, I'd love to meet him someday. He's a Messianic Jew, he's a part of the Jewish remnant. So the church, we benefit from the new covenant uh, and the Abrahamic covenant, of course. Remember God said to Abraham, in you, in your seed, all the nations will be blessed. And that seed, Paul says in Galatians 3, was it 13? is Jesus Christ. So through faith in Jesus Christ, that all the nations, the Gentile nations, are being blessed. Now, the new covenant promises the spirit and the forgiveness of sins. Now, the new covenant wasn't given to the church. However, Jesus said, you know, when Jesus said, this is the new covenant in my blood, when he was inst installing the, the Lord's Supper, well, that new covenant is based upon his finished work on the cross. Now, when the church, a Gentile Christian like you and I, when we believed in Jesus, God unites us with the Jewish remnant in the church. And that's what Romans 11 is all about. And Ephesians 2, 11 through 22 talks about that as well. So we benefit for us being engrafted into the Jewish remnant by the new covenant. That's why we have the gift of the Spirit like Jewish believers did in the first century and do today. And the forgiveness of sins. So, the covenant-keeping name of Israel here is being used because God's saying, these are my people. You know, I, I told you this story. Well, for instance, if somebody disciplined your kids, how would you feel? You'd say, get the heck out of here. You touch my kid. You touch my kid. There's a, what was that show that I was watching? There was a show of the guy, oh yeah, The Irishman. Everybody seen the movie The Irishman? Where the, they came back, Joe Petchy came out of retirement, and Robert De Niro, and, and it's, it's about a true story about a guy named Ed Sheeran, who was a mob guy, he worked for Jimmy Hoffa, and he said he killed Jimmy Hoffa, okay? Which I believe, he's not in New Jersey. And uh, so, 
I'll tell you a funny story. Just before I get to that, um, is uh, I better get to it. and I'll tell you the other story. So, so you know, this 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 show uh, has uh, you know the, um, the De Niro play his daughter is uh, go, goes to the uh, goes to the store, and some guy who is a a um, he worked at a grocery store. I mean, back the old style grocery stores, a little mom and pop thing. And I guess he 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 pushed or he, he did something to the daughter, laid his hands on her. Not that he was sexually abusing her, but it was something like she, he like he 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 chewed her out and, and he hit her or something. And De Niro's the character who's playing Ed Sheeran goes, "Are you kidding me? He touched you?" So he goes down there and he beats the living daylights out of the kid. Nobody touches my kid. Which is funny, you know, talk about, you know, so he's, he plays a gangster. And so, you know, God is like saying, how dare you touch my people? But you said, Bill, they yeah, God's disciplining them. Okay? And God's the one who has the prerogative. It's his, it's, his, it's his people. He has the prerogative. And so, again, as I told you before, God's using one evil nation against another evil nation to destroy it. And those evil nations that destroyed Judah and deported her are going to now be dealt with by God. He's going to judge them and destroy them because they're evil too. So he uses evil against itself to destroy itself. So I just decide, you know, and, uh, I go down talking about gangsters and stuff. There's a, um, these, these, I go to the star market down here, right down the road. And these, they, I don't know why these kids, these kids, just think, they think I'm a mob guy because I talk funny. You know, they think I'm from New I'm not from New Jersey. I'm not Tony Soprano. I'm from Massachusetts, for crying out loud. I drop my eyes, okay? And I'm not a gangster, although I've, I, I've had, my family has at one time had a little bit of a confrontation with one guy. That's another story for another day. But I was like, so I said, don't, don't mess with me or I might whack you, you know? Whack is, you know, right in the back of the head. So anyways, bada bing, bada boom. So this word, so the word Lord, the word, the word Lord here is the covenant-keeping name of God. And God's using this because he's saying, hey, these are my people. And you touched my people. Yeah, I, I used an evil nation to destroy them, but now I'm going to take my anger out on you because you're evil too. You don't think you're getting away with anything or you're any better. So this word emphasizes that God has a covenant relationship with the Jews that are living in exile in Obadiah's day. And then when it says in Obadiah 15, for all the nations, the day of the Lord is near for all the nations, that's emphasizing no exceptions, indicating that each and every one of the Gentile nations located in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world in the 6th century B.C. will be judged by the God of Israel. My translation of Obadiah 15 goes as follows. For the period of judgment to be brought about by the Lord against each and every one of the nations is imminent. Just as you have done, so it will be done in the same manner to you. Your actions will return on your own head. So he says, as I said before, you have three prophetic declarations in this verse, which present two reasons for the list of indictments that are found in verses 10 to 14 against Edom. So therefore, these prophetic declarations express the idea that Edom should never have mistreated the people of Judah when Nebuchadnezzar attacked the latter in 586 B.C. Why? Because the Lord, who is the God of Israel, is about to judge all the nations, implying Edom as well. So the God of Israel would judge all the nations which cruelly mistreated the people of Judah, including Edom. And so the first prophetic declaration asserts that the period of judgment to be brought about by the Lord against every one of the nations is imminent. And the second asserts, as we just read, that uh, just as Edom treated the people of Judah during their time of disaster as a nation. So they would be treated in the same manner 
and the third reiterates the second by asserting that the Edomites' cruel actions towards Judah would return upon the, their head as a nation. So the word Lord there, Yahweh, indicates that the God of Israel in Obadiah's day, and Jesus Christ is the God of Israel, is speaking to those who have trusted in him and are believers. Since Old Testament Israel, non-believers, do not have a covenant relationship with God, but only believers. So he's giving them encouragement. Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, who didn't get thrown to Babylon, but he, was in, he was, uh, stayed in the land. He was allowed to stay in the land. You, these remnant of faithful believers, they want to know, are we going to have justice? justice? Because they all know Babylon. They're wicked people. They're pagan. They worship various gods of the ancient world. And all those other nations, like Edom, that joined in the, in the free-for-all against the southern kingdom of Judah, they, like, those are all evil nations, God. And God says, yes, I know. I'm using them to defeat and destroy other, judge other evil nations. I'm not done yet. I'm going to take them out too. And he used, he used the great Medo-Persian Empire, which is a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, to take out Babylon. In fact, he, they absorbed Babylon right in. And then it was followed by Alexander the Great, Greek Empire, and he absorbed the Medo-Persian Empire into itself, destroyed it, ex it then uh, took, uh, absor absorbed their, their uh, exploited their, their uh, materials and everything, whatnot, and their people, and, and they brought them in to, to, to their empire. And then came the Roman Empire. It did the same thing with Alexander's Greek Empire, or the remnants of it. So God is, he's, he, he's trying to give them encouragement. And listen to me, the implication. So this was written to the, the remnant of the southern kingdom of Judah in exile to give them encouragement that God would give them justice against Edom. What's the implication for us? It wasn't written to us, but there's an implication, an application. What's that? God's going to give us justice. We're all looking for justice, don't we? Doesn't it drive you crazy to see people robbing stores out in California and the police won't do anything about it because they can't. It's, it can't, it's got to be over $1,000. They can't keep up with the crime. People running out of stuff with televisions and everything. It's like a free-for-all. The country is crazy. It drives, does, it, doesn't it make you angry to see grandmothers being mugged and killed for a buck? Doesn't it drive you crazy when freedom of speech is being taken away from the country and you can't, and people are intolerant of your opinion? No, I don't agree with homosexuality. I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm going to shoot you for it, but I don't, don't shove it down my throat that I have to accept your lifestyle. I disagree with it. So I'll be tolerant of your view, you be tolerant of my view. It's in the Constitution. You know, it's all about dissent, and they won't let you have a dissent. I'm sick and tired of the media. I'm sick and tired of the media and, and all the garbage that they put out and the injustice that they, they're creating more problems. They fuel problems and create problems. I'm sick of that. We're, we look around this country and we go, what is going on? Get, get, think about it. Doesn't your Bible say there's a devil? Of course he's going to want to attack America. We get the greatest presence of Christians in the world. We put still, despite our many faults, and I'm talking about the church, and the great apostasies in the church, there's still a great, there's still a group of believers that's still pumping the word of God out. No nation in the, on the face of the earth is putting the word of God throughout the world like Americans are, American Christians. And you're a part of that. Of course, we're going to get attacked. So they're going to attack the culture around us. 
and take away freedom of speech. They want to try to. They want. They want to. They basically. They want. To, they want to dictate how you feel, what you wear, what you think. They're gonna. They even have the audacity to teach our kids stuff about sex and in third, fourth grade. Where do these people get off on doing that stuff? It makes you crazy. Where's the justice? Do you think Jesus Christ didn't see this? Do you think he's not going to do something about it? We've just got an example from the Old Testament. God saying, look what I did. He's telling the church today by the Spirit, look what I did. I'm going to take these people. I'm going to deal with them. In my timing, I will deal with them. And that time could be very close right now. It could be rapture could happen today. And then what happens? Look out. These people are going to be... It's going to be a bloodbath. The world has never seen such turmoil as they will see during the 70th week of Daniel. And we'll be gone. Judgment is coming for all the nations, including our own. And so the nations would bear well, be, be, be very wise to pay attention to what's being taught in the Word of God. So therefore, these prophetic declarations in Obadiah 15 are not only directed at the Edomites, but also the believing Jewish remnant which survived the Babylonian invasions in the 6th century B.C. and had trusted God. You can't go wrong. Just trust God. You know, for whatever's going on in the world today, we talked about, right? We know what's going on in our government. We see what's going on in our society. We see we got the woke culture out there. We got all that stuff out there. Okay, the Lord knows that. But there's only so much you and I can do. We need to go and do what our jobs are. You've heard me say this before. Patriots have a mantra, and Saban does too. You do your job. You do your job. You don't try to tell, you know, people, teams get into trouble when they try to help the other guy out and, and they don't do their job. You do your job. Trust your teammate to do his job. That's what we are. We're like a spiritual foot team, and we need to do our jobs as individuals. What's our job? Taking the word of God like you're doing, and that's just the first step. Then you gotta put it into practice. And when you're putting it into practice, you'll obey the command to love one another. And when you love one another, you'll be serving one another. You'll be praying for one another. You'll be pulling for one another. You'll be, uh, re uh, you'll be rebuking in gentleness with one another when somebody's drifting off course. You'll be, you'll be somebody who's forgiving and tolerant and patience of people's, people's political views in the church. Doesn't mean you have to agree with them, but you've got to be tolerant. You've got to be patient. You, you'll be doing these, you'll be praying for one another. Into praying for your leaders, as I said before, federal, state, local governments, praying for people, and do your job as a Christian. And you have, your, you have your individual walk with God, your private sanctified time along with God in prayer for the study of the Word of God, and then you have your corporate responsibility with the church. We're supposed to meet together, and we're not to forsake the assembling of, as is the habit of, uh, not to forsake the assembling of yourselves as the habit of some, as it says in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25. That's our job. The Lord's job, he runs the world. He takes care of the nations. And he laughs at the nations. What's going on? Hold your place in Obadiah. Look at Psalm chapter 2. I'll show you what the Lord thinks about the nations. Look at Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. You know, back in Obadiah's day, think about this. We think about the nations today conspiring against the Lord. 
the nations back, the nations who are under the deception of the devil, right, we've talked this many times. The whole world is deceived by Satan. 1 John 5, 19, Satan's the god of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he deceives the entire world. Revelation 12, 10. Okay, so Satan is temporarily the god of this world. That's why the world's messed up, plus we're sinners, by nature and practice, right? So the nations have been at war with the Lord for a long time now, basically since they were nations, okay? So after, you know, so after the flood and prior to the flood, so during the interluvian period, and right up to our present day, the nations are at war. Eventually, God's just going to establish his kingdom on the earth and through violence at the second advent. So how does he look at the nations back then? And Obadiah's day, how's he looking at them now? Same way. Look at what it says in, in, in Psalm 2, verse 1. Why do the nations conspire in the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. They're doing that today. With the, the so-called alternative lifestyles. Gay and lesbian. You know, and you get the, the transgender, you know, the transgender thing, where now someone is, uh, uh, some famous star, she used to be Jeanette, now she's Jimmy. I mean, it's, who, you know, this is, they want to basically change creation. You're a man, you're a woman. Let me tell you something, the, uh, the John Hopkins, okay, John Hopkins, years ago, used to do sex changes. John Hopkins, big hospital, they used to do sex changes. I, I had to study a lot of this because I was dealing with stuff back in Iowa. They used to do that stuff. They stopped doing it years ago. You know why? They say, it's a psychological problem. Is they, you're, either, you're either male or you're a female, they said. And the issues about their confusion about their gender is a psychological problem. They refused to go and do these sex change operations. In fact, they found that the suicide rate still stays the same among these people. Of course there's going to be suicide. You're fighting against God. I bring this all up because they're doing it today. They're shaking their fist at God and that's what they're doing with all this garbage they're putting out there. They, this is, let's break the chains of the Lord. The Lord says, you know, a man and a woman and marriage, sex is for, for marriage between a male and a female. Okay, just think about it. If everybody was gay, they'd go, where's the society? There'd be no more people. You can't procreate. And you want, hey, there's got to be somebody. You say, well, we'll adopt. Well, if the heterosexuals stop having sex and you make them gay or lesbian, then we're not going to have any children for you to adopt, you gay people. Now, you think I'm again? Hey, look at it. I want them to get the gospel. They're not my enemies. Satan is. He's deceiving those people. I go and give them the gospel when I have an opportunity. And you do it in love and, 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 and grace and gentleness, knowing that they're deceived by the devil and only the Holy Spirit can lift that veil. Okay, so be balanced about that. So then he goes on to say, and the one in verse four, enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. And that's what he's doing today. He, sit, he sits at the right hand of the Father, Jesus does, waiting for his enemies to be made a footstool for his feet. Everything that's going on right into our present moment with China and Russia and Taiwan and Ukraine, on and on it goes, right? It's just setting it up. The Lord's ready to give it, the kingdom over to his son. Then it says in verse 9, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. This is what Jesus will do. Read Revelation. 
5 through 18, it's the wrath of the Lamb. The seventh seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments are pouring out the wrath of the Lamb. I told you my, my little niece, she's been watching The Chosen with my great, great series with my, my brother Chris, but she doesn't like that type of Jesus. So I had a little conversation with her at Christmas. Well, you know, the Bible does teach that, that he's, he, he's, the, lamb, he's the Lamb of God who died on the cross for us, but he's also the Lion of Judah who's going to establish his father's kingdom on the earth and he's going to be the greatest military hero of all time. Nobody can stand next to him. Not Patton, MacArthur, not, not Schwarzkopf, not Alexander the Great, not nobody compares to the greatest warrior of all time, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. So then he says in verse 10, therefore you kings, you presidents, Mr. Putin, Mr. Biden, I don't know how you say the guy's name in China. Kaching? I don't know. We could, that's a message. And, and the guy was actually the guy actually was in Iowa. He went to school in Iowa, you know. That's what they all do, you know, so they can see how Americans do things. And uh, so, anyways, he, he you know he he went to a uh, stayed with a family in Iowa for, for a number of years. So I didn't mean to be. I just in Massachusetts we're wise guys, and that's what we would say. Kaching. So, anyways, therefore, be king, you kings, be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear. And celebrate, celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the son. Kiss his son. That means trust in him. Or he will be angry. And your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up at any moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Go back to Obadiah, verse 15, please. And we'll cl close the first session. Now listen to me. While you're doing that, go back to Obadiah 15. Think about this. We want justice. Doesn't Jesus deserve justice? Doesn't the Father deserve justice? You hear people talk about justice in this country all the time. By the way, an atheist has no business talking about justice. There's no God? What justice are we talking about? Then Hitler, if there's no God, then Hitler could do whatever he wanted. Who's to say he's wrong? The fact that there's a God, that, that, that means that there's some uh, accountability and someone who is a, a sovereign lawgiver. If there's no God, well, there's no concept of justice now, is there? They have no business talking about justice. But we want justice, so does the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus, Jesus, the perfect God-man, becomes a human being. And to suffer the wrath of God for us sinners, for the, for the prostitute, for the, 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 the lesbian, the homosexual, the, the fornicator, the, le, the, uh, the adulterer, the liar, the thief, the slanderer, the Pharisee, the Hitlers, the Bill Wenstroms. Okay? He did it. He, he, he went to the cross for everybody in history, past, present, future, and he was abandoned by his heavenly father. He was subject to two scourgings. He was uh, unjustly treated with a trial at night, which was against Jewish law. You're crying for justice? What do you think he's looking for? And then he has to suffer the crucifixion, and the Romans just rubbed it in. They perfected what the, the Persians did. And crucifixion was a tremendous torture. You didn't die physically from that until days later because you died of asphyxiation. You couldn't hold yourself up anymore. That's why they broke the legs of the thieves on either side of them. So they couldn't hold themselves up anymore, and they died. The worst form of torture... And then he dies physically of his own volition. 
and he doesn't get any justice? Oh, yes, he does, and he's coming back. Yeah, I'm giving you time now to try. That's why he hasn't come back yet. I had a family member said, well, you know, you know, the people say, oh, pie in the sky is gone. You know why he hasn't come back, I said? Because he's waiting for you to humble yourself and repent by trusting in his son. He doesn't want to judge anybody and throw him in the lake of fire forever, facing his wrath forever. That's why he hasn't come back yet. And thank God he didn't come back 40 years ago when I first got saved at 19 or whatever it was. Thank God. So here we are. He's coming for justice. He gets justice. He's going to, he's going to exact justice upon this world for the way they've treated him. And listen to me. Listen to me. Every, we're members of the body of Christ. Think about this. We're members of the body of Christ, are we not? Individual members. We're his future bride. We're crucified, died, buried, raised, and seed with Christ. Father looks at us as he looks at his son. The way you treat us is the way you treat Jesus. That's why he said to Paul at his conversion, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You're persecuting me by persecuting these Christians that follow me. Think about that next time someone says something or persecutes you or says something evil about you. There's justice coming, people. The Lord's going to make sure of that. So, Obadiah 15, it says, The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. So, in Obadiah 15, we see that the prepositional phrase, for all nations, refers to those Gentile nations that, again, that were located in the Mesopotamian and Mediterranean, Mediterranean regions of the world and the 6th century B.C. And it's expressing the God of Israel's righteous indignation towards these nations. Righteous indignation means justified anger. It's his wrath. So the first declaration, we'll wrap up with this. The first declaration here, let me get it back here for you. The first declaration is actually hyperbole, which is so-called because the expression adds to the sense so much that it exaggerates it and enlarges or diminishes it more than is really meant in fact or when more is said than is meant to be literally understood in order to heighten the sense. So it is actually what we call poetic hyperbole, expressing poetically the finality and decisiveness of God's judgment against those nations which destroyed Judah as a nation, since not every single nation on planet Earth destroyed Judah in 586 B.C., but only certain nations in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world. We use hyperbole all the time. Jesus did in his teaching. He says, if your eye offends you, Pluck it out. Now think about that. My eye offends me. So I pluck it out. I got another eye. What am I going to do there? Okay? No, he, what he's saying, he's using exaggerating, exaggeration to prove a point. Don't let what you watch what you look at. Uh, you pornography, right? Watch out what you're looking at because if it causes you to stumble, you don't, so you try to, so in other words, if you're a drunk, you don't walk into a bar. Okay, you have a problem with drinking, you stay out of bars. Okay, or you, you know, you're a, you're a drug addict and you're addicted to meth. Well, don't go to the meth labs. Okay, <laughs> that's what he's talking about. So be careful. So Jesus used hyperbole all the time. Very cool. The, the, the series, the chosen. They even talk about that. And it's funny when they they teach him, show him the gospel. Then they they actually fill in little commentary that help you inter- see what they, they interpret the scriptures there. 
they did, they did a fantastic job. So we have the hyperbole being used here. So therefore, the prophetic theme of the day of the Lord, which appears in Obadiah 15, is used of God's judgment of Edom, which was literally fulfilled in human history, people. Literally fulfilled. Fulfilled prophecy demonstrates that the scriptures are inspired by God. So this is all indicated by the fact that Obadiah 15 presents two reasons for the indictments against Edom in verses 10 through 15. However, this phrase foreshadows prophetically God's judgment of all the nations of the earth who mistreat the nation of Israel during the last three and a half years of Daniel's 70th week. So thus, Edom and the Gentile nations located in the Mediterranean and Mesopotamian regions of the world during the 6th century B.C. became the pattern for future nations existing during the 70th week. So, these prophetic declarations, declarations recorded in verse 15, like all the prophecies recorded in the first 14 verses, were fulfilled in history because Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon was able to capture the city of Petra and take the citizens of Edom into captivity as they did the nations of the, the citizens of the nation of the kingdom of Judah. So the term, the day of the Lord, and the phrases like in the Old Testament, that day, or the day, or the great day, are used with reference to Daniel's 70th week. And we also see that, uh, not only that, but the second advent it's used for. It's also used for the millennial reign of Christ. In fact, 17 through 21 of Obadiah is actually talking about the millennial reign of Christ, which follows the second advent of Christ. The term, the, that day, the great day, the day of the Lord, is also used in relation to the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, we see, if you notice, that there are only four passages in the New Testament which, teach, which use the term, the day of the Lord. Uh, Acts 2.20, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, 2 Thessalonians 2.2, and 2 Peter 3.10. However, this phrase is used often by the writers of the, uh, the Old Testament. So thus, Paul and Peter, the New Testament writers, their understanding of the day of the Lord was the exact same as Old Testament uh, prophets. Now, a survey of the use of the phrase the day of the Lord in both the Old and New Testaments, and we'll close with this, revealed that it was used with reference to the contemporary history of the writer as an Obadiah. However, it's also used in relation to the future, future to the rapture. So to summarize, and again we'll close with this, to summarize, some of the day of the Lord prophecies have already been fulfilled in history in several different ways. Number one, we have the Assyrian deportation of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C. We also have the locust plague in Joel's day, in Joel 115. Number three, we have the Babylonian exile of Judah between 605 and 586 B.C., Number four, we have the Babylonian defeat of Egypt in 587 B.C. That's another day of the Lord prophecy. And we also have the destruction of Edom as we read in Obadiah verses 1 through 14. So there are several day of the Lord prophecies which will be fulfilled subsequent to the rapture of the church which is imminent. So let's close in prayer and we'll pick it up after a short break and finishing off this verse in Obadiah 15. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this study of uh, the day of the Lord being imminent for all the nations in Obadiah's day, which sets the pattern for the nations in our day and age. And we know that you're going to bring justice to the earth and this time in which the devil rules and sin is, the, uh, is ruling over this earth and in our nation as well. We know that you're going to bring justice to this world and you're going to establish your son's kingdom on 
the earth where there'll be perfect justice and righteousness. And so we look in anticipation, not only for the rapture, but also for anticipation when we're reigning with your son, Jesus Christ, over a world where there'll be righteousness and justice. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.